broadcasting to Ottawa Senator fans around the world. Around the world. It's the Sins Nation Podcast. And now, here's Steve Warren. Hey everybody, welcome to the Sens Nation Podcast. We're coming at you in the moments after the Sens February 27th game against the Calgary Flames. The Sens lost this one today, 6-3. to three, And apparently, these two clubs are just going to take turns teeing off on each other. Sens win the opener of the series by a count of 6-1. to one. There we go. Uh, very pleased, as always, to be joined by the coach, Greg Kennedy. How are things, Greg? Very good, Stephen. Good afternoon. Uh, not it would have been nicer to have this little chat after that six to one drubbing rather than this six to three demolishing, right? Yeah, no question about it. And uh, and where do we find you today? Uh, we're doing this by via Zoom, and you appear to be in some strange hotel room. Yes, I'm in the what's it called again? I told you, I can't remember now. It's the North the Northern Star Hotel in downtown Slave Lake, Alberta. The boss decided that I needed a weekend away of a slight vacation because of course I live in a house with way too many people. So here I am relaxing at the Northern star. Perfect. That, that yeah. works out nicely. That works very nicely. Um, yeah, spending you, my day the- wheeling, we're wheeling and dealing here, Steve. It's deadline trades and signings and free agents. And we're going crazy here. It's been a busy day. How can you have a deadline when you haven't played a game yet? Since yeah, good, good question. <laughs> good question. <laughs> <laughs> well, the deadline was January 10th, like anybody else. They extended it to February 10th because, you know, we're not playing. And then uh, actually about an hour ago, I was told that it might get extended again. Well, it was from February 10th to tomorrow, which is the 28th, the end of the month. And then I was told about an hour ago that it might get extended another two weeks. So so maybe I've still got another two weeks for wheeling and dealing. But I've been signing players left and right and making trades and having fun. Nice. Wheeling and dealing. All right, let's get into Sens talk. Um, Obviously, that was not a very good game today. They fall six to three to the Calgary Flames. I got a few thoughts on the thing, but I'll let you go first. They did not look good all game from first puck drop. I thought uh, you alluded to it in in one of our edited uh, beginnings of the show, the intros that you've cut now. <laughs> I'm cutting you, that out now too. Yeah, you mentioned that uh, that uh, here's a, here's a hint for everyone: uh, the game, the score didn't exactly uh, reflect the game. It could have easily been a lot more than six. Um, they did not play well today. Steve did way too many turnovers. At least three or four goals came directly off of turnovers. Matt Murray, uh, we thought he might be back, but then again, maybe he's not back. Uh, just not a good game. They they looked tired or looked disinterested, which is kind of strange. Not Not the normal script we've seen from them. Yeah, I thought Matt Murray came out badly. I thought the team came out badly. They allowed 20 shots in the first period, which... Uh, this just in is too many. Uh, they looked, uh, you know, and that sometimes happens in these afternoon games, right? I mean, a club comes out and they're sure. not, you know, really on their game. And uh, the Flames, on the other hand, well, they have the distinction of being in a in a bad slump and also being, I guess, the only team that's been blown out so far by lowly Ottawa. So their feelings were hurt probably after <laughs> that one. And uh, you could see Mark Giordano out there in the pregame warm-up just barking at the fellas. You don't often see in, you know, what is a game 20 or whatever it is, a guy out there that's uh, that intense in a pregame warm-up, but such was the state of the Calgary Flames, and uh, they'd had enough, and they pushed back today. Yeah, and they, they came out strong, um, and and really, like you, you said, it, the game was over in the first period, the 20 shots and 3-1. to one. I know that they 
the Senators have a reputation now of being a team that doesn't roll over and play dead, but they almost kind of maybe sort of did today. Yeah. Other than the power play, they really didn't mount much offensively uh, beyond the first period. All right, let's get to the highlights from today's game. It all started four minutes in, and you can see even before that, before the first goal was scored, they just looked like they'd had a case of Red Red Bull compared to the game previous and uh, and Calgary as well. They'd also played the night before as well, so this one was more on even terms. So four minutes in, the Flames get on the board first. Up ahead for Johnny Gaudreau. Gaudreau dances around Brady Kachuk. Winds through center ice. Pivots back as Calgary's changing to draw a centering pass. Quick shot, score! Yusuf Velamaki comes off the bench, takes the pass from Gaudreau and gives Calgary a 1-0 lead. So all clips today, by the way, courtesy of TSN and Gord Miller with the call. And uh, boy, Sen's defenders had the popcorn out on that one. Completely focused on Johnny Gaudreau. Nobody picking up Valamaki and, uh, well, he uh, he buries one to make it one nothing. It just looked like, you know, everybody was totally puck-focused there. Uh, well, nice player. Gaudreau's great and everything, and he can dangle. But we're the ones at home watching who should be focused on that guy not the defenders yeah uh, defenders not defense men like let's be clear Uh, johnny hockey drove wide and deep down the left side and really backed zaitsev off but then the key was that mangiapani came down the middle lane and drove hard to the net and that backed off lefty shabbat and created a huge hole that uh Villamaki just walked right into and then you had a really nice sweet uh like a, a high delay and a backhand sauce from from Johnny Hockey, and you've got a goal. Uh, I'm not blaming the defenseman, but somebody should have picked up Villamaki on the back check for crying out loud. The, the only reason he was there was on a line change. There really wasn't a third forward on the ice yet. Somebody should have seen him coming off the bench and picked him up on the on the play in the high slot. Just over 30 seconds later, Eric Goodbranson falls down in a Calgary rush where the Sens have good numbers, but Goodbranson falls down. It allows for a pass to the middle, and the Flames strike again. Najapani, a series pass. Backlund scores! Backlund flips it by Murray, and just like that, Calgary's got a 2 nothing lead. Now, did Branstrom get a, get a stick on that? Did it get tipped? I, I was wondering, and I, of course, I was watching it on uh, Calgary Sportsnet, so they didn't even mention that Branson blew a tire. To them, was just a fantastic play by the Calgary Flames. I mean, Mangiapani with an easy pass, and uh, and I thought it tipped off of uh Branstrom stick maybe I don't know what what did TSN have to say yeah uh, they, they didn't say anything about a tip it looked like it just went uh, far side in off the post yeah and uh it may have tipped off something I didn't see a tip off anything but I did see a goaltender who was right on his goal line effectively um not out challenging really at all on that one but uh, that was enough uh and your goal scorer by the way is Michael Backlund to make it two nothing and at that stage it was kind of weird Greg in that I mean, I love Austin Watson and what he brings to a fourth line scenario, but it's two nothing. And he decided that he wanted to get a spark going. And so you challenge a guy that I believe to be maybe the strongest guy in the national hockey league, slow as molasses, mind you, but <laughs> Milan Lucic might not be the guy that I'd want to fight to create a so-called spark. How about you? I agree. Totally threw him around like a rag doll. I mean, he threw him down, picked him up, threw him down again. It reminded me of, was it Chara and Tucker or was Chara and Corson? Which no, no, no. Brian McCabe. Oh, it was McCabe. That's right. It was McCabe. But it reminded me of that. I mean, 
it was like watching Big Z throwing him around like a rag doll. It, it, Watson maybe didn't get his balance, wasn't ready. I don't know. He just did not put up uh, did not put up much of a of an effort there, and and probably had a counter effect. I'm sure half his team were chuckling about it rather than getting fired up over it. Well, it didn't have the desired effect because not that long after that. Elias Lindholm makes it 3 nothing Flames. That's broken up by Zaitsev. I mentioned Matthew Kachuk's got an assist in this game. Now Lindholm with a steal, scores! Lindholm picks Ottawa's pocket and snaps it home to make it 3 nothing with 8.55 to go in the period. So that's one where I think, Greg, that I did had the biggest problem with Matt Murray because it was a case of Josh Norris absolutely coughing it up to Lindholm, Ugh. and Lindholm just spins and fires a a quick wrister along the ice and Matt Murray, his body language, it was like he was completely unready. And that is, that would drive me insane. He wasn't like off playing the puck or something like that, uh, or having to scramble back into the, into position. Like what does Matt Murray actually have to do when the puck is in the Ottawa zone, but be ready. He's like standing up straight, knees are locked. And then all of a sudden, Whoa, my guy turned it over. I better get ready. And then it's in the net. That was bad. Yeah, that that was my immediate first take too. Was like he did not look ready at all. Like, and it was only Norris turned it over maybe six feet away from the net. Like, seriously, you're not you're not down, crouched in position, ready, watching, waiting. You know, ready to pounce or prowl or however you want to say it. He should be like a cat and a ready to jump on something. They're ready, and he just did not look ready. Norris, though, world class Monty Hall. There, um, you you couldn't give something away much better than than that but uh still you should be ready and following the puck and if it happens you're ready to make a save i was gonna get you for uh you know a really kind of older game show reference however <laughs> i, I can't think one. i couldn't come up with something better so i can well, we've always called it a monty hall true it's a, it's a monty hall to give away yeah should we say a pat sajak He's not a so much of a he's not so much a giveaway guy. He's more of a let's make a deal guy, right? Okay, yeah, but he gives stuff away. I don't know why. It's just always been called a Monty Hall. Fair I enough. I could I could give you the the divorce joke again. You want that one? No, no, it's fine. Two minutes later, on the power play, the Sens get into the game. Drake Batherson strikes again. Puts the peels back now. Drops it for Shabon across. He goes to Batherson in shoot scores. Drake Batherson keeps the roll going. That's goals in five straight. Got to love the Drake. Yeah, Drake Batherson scoring again. He extends his goal-scoring streak to five games. Did you know there are only four members of the Sens in the modern-day history who've had at least a six-game goal-scoring streak? Got Drake Batherson at five, and only four other guys have ever got to at least six games in their goal-scoring streaks. Do you know who they are? We'll check out SensNationHockey.com and our game report, and you'll find out. Goal scorer's goal, plain and simple. I mean, he picks short side bar down. You want to find fault? Uh, I thought Mark Giordano was slow to get out to him, was not in the lane. Generally, nowadays, when you come out to a guy like that off the half wall, defensemen are told to take away the short side shot. Don't allow the guy to beat the goalie short side. Force him to go far side, and he wasn't even in he wasn't even in the middle of the of the net as far as being in any sort of shooting lane. So it kind of made me think, is there was there a lack of respect there? Was there a he didn't know who it was or he did know who it was, but didn't think he's much of a threat or or just playing too slow? I'm not sure. You'd have to ask Mark Giordano, I guess. 
Four minutes into the second period, Sens killing a penalty, and I think Chris Tierney tries to get a little too refined as he's trying to get the puck out of the zone. He's got the puck behind the net. He's getting dogged by somebody. Uh, and, well, instead of glassing out, he tries to do a little dangling, loses it to Johnny Gaudreau, gets it over to Monaghan, and there's Murray deep in the net again, and Monaghan beats him short side, top shelf, to make it 4-1. Gaudreau leads the way for Calgary with four power play goals. Matthew Kachuk is second. There's a quick shot by Monaghan, rips it by Murray on the pass from Gaudreau, and it's 4-1 Calgary. And another defensive zone turnover, as you just said, Chris Tierney. It, just, it can't happen, just cannot happen. 100%. And I thought this was the dagger on the evening or the afternoon. 9.36, Flames killing a penalty. You got Mangiapane and Backland breaking out on, well, I think it was a two-on-three. I think the Sens had good numbers. And this is where you're going to have to live with this. We all clamor for getting kids into the lineup. You're going to have youthful mistakes. While Thomas Shabbat is in alone effectively with Matt Murray, with Mangiapane and Backland, digging away at the puck, Stutzla and Batherson, who were there in, in plenty of time to help, they basically swooped out of the whole equation, thinking that Shabbat had things under control, looking for outlet passes. Meanwhile, Shabbat didn't have things under control at all. <laughs> and uh, eventually, Mangiapani just is able to shovel in the 5-1 goal. And in my opinion, that was the dagger on the night. That comes back on the other way with Mangiapani shorthanded. Backland works in, can't get a shot away, Mangiapane loose, takes that pass at the goalpost, scores! And there's a second ever shorthanded goal for the Flames against Ottawa to make it 5-1. to one. Yeah, uh, two brutal flybys, especially Stutzla. Um, Batherson maybe not so much, but Stutzla was closest to it. He could have just stopped and picked up one of those two guys or stopped and even maybe found the puck in the feet there where it was laying around for a bit. And just, just ugh, world-class flyby. Can't have it. Things need to change. Um, that's a conditioning, hockey mental conditioning thing, more than a physical conditioning thing, obviously. But uh, eventually the lessons will be learned, right? Yeah, Batherson was back and made a play on the puck carrier, knocked it away briefly. And I guess he figured since he knocked it away, he's cool to blow out and uh, be ready for an outlet. So, um yeah, I, I I put big fault on both of them. I'm sure there'll be conversations with uh, DJ Smith and those two, but that's the nature of it, right? Kids yeah. are going to be kids at the end of the day. Uh, so that was about the game. I'm not going to go through all the uh, goals today, but th- that was pretty much the hockey game in a nutshell. Colin White got one back off of a face-off to make it 5-2 to two and uh, restoring maybe a little hope, but then Matthew Kachuk tips one in past Matt Murray to make it 6-2, to two, and that was pretty much it. Um, I don't know. I, was there any doubt in your mind that Joey Decord was going to come in after that second period? Because he did, came in and uh, only had to face five shots the rest of the way in the third period. I think that was the right call, right? Yeah, I fully expected him to come in. I mean, he, he, we, we kind of breezed by that that sixth goal, but that was another Stutzla giveaway for those of you tracking at home. Right. Um, but yeah, I expected to see to see Decord. Um whether he gets a start coming up, I don't know. What would it hurt? Yep, no question. Um, Matt Murray's not playing so well that, you know, you don't give a kid a chance. And uh, there's lots of kids in the lineup, so why not in goal as well? And uh, we all know, probably if you've had that a chance, Google Joey Decord puck handling, and uh, you'll see some pretty special stuff. And that can't hurt on retrievals and such, Greg. 
a goalie back there who's effectively like a third defenseman on every shift. Yeah, I mean, think back to your Marty Berdur days. The reason that they have the uh, the lines back there, the reason they have that no-go zone for goaltenders is guys like, uh, I mean, or even a Ron Hextall before that would come out and play every puck and, and make a good 40-footer tape-to-tape firm pass for a breakout. Um, I, I look forward to seeing And Now, he did play one game last year, right? Yes, but I look forward to seeing him get in there now. He'd probably be a little more relaxed. The team in front of him might be a little bit better than it was last year. And I'd be interested to see if he does get to start next game. Brady Kachuk closed out the scoring for the game to, to make it 6-3, but it was uh, long over at that stage of the game. You could see Kachuk was a little annoyed end of the game. He's uh, you know, taking a penalty and shoving Giordano down when he's trying to pick up his stick and such. But uh, he crammed one home. Not much to tell you about that one. Batherson and Shabbat draw the assists but it's a classic Brady Kachuk goal. I think probably 75% of his career NHL goals will likely be scored in that manner. Yeah, I thought Dadnov really made the play earlier, but just before the goal, he was handling the puck in the offensive zone and he got knocked down to his knees and from his knees still managed to stick handle for a second or two, tried to get back up and ended up making a nice play. To uh, to Shabbat, who went to Batherson, who went to Kachuk, and really, Daddy got robbed of an assist there. We go back and Google that one, listeners, and check out Daddy's work before that goal. It was very nice, very good. So that is uh, the final six to three for the Calgary Flames. Like I say, I wish we were doing this after the last game, but uh, this is the most recent one, and the Flames outshoot the Sens on the night as we look at the game sheet further, thirty eight to thirty four. Faceoffs pretty even. Calgary in favor, fifty one percent. Lots of power plays in this one. Man, I really prefer a game where there's zero penalties versus what were there, 10 in this one. Flames one for four in the power play. Sens were three for six. So there's a bright spot. The power play got going somewhat. Even in penalties, for the most part, 17 to 15. Hits, it was the Sens 23-15. Block shots 18 to 11 in favor of the Sens. And giveaways, it was in favor of Calgary with Ottawa having 14, Calgary 10. So here's head coach DJ Smith on today's 6-3 loss to the Flames. Coach, was there an element of sloppiness that got into your game here today? Yeah, for sure. I, I think that third period from the other night carried over, and I think you forget how hard it is to win in the National Hockey League. Um, there's desperate teams out there for points, and you know it should be a good learning lesson for us that you have to work every single shift, every period, if you want to win games in this uh, when you have a, a game again against Calgary here and you're down by four going into the third, is a coach's message one of winning the period? Did you Was that something that you sort of touched on at the end of the second? Well, it's just get our game back. And our game is forechecking, physical, play off the cycle. Um, and, you know, we did that in the third period. But, you know, we got to come out ready when the game starts playing that way. And we got a little high flying the other night in the third period. The fear is that it's going to carry over in a bit. You've got back-to-back games Monday and Tuesday. Uh, Joey DeCord gets in. Was that an effort to maybe let him see the puck and get a feel for uh, the potential of starting a game over the next two? Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, you know, the, the game's out of reach at that point. Or, and uh, <clears throat> it's a good opportunity for him to catch the pace, uh, get to see some, you know, some shots. And he did a good job when he came in. Okay, so there's Sens head coach DJ Smith on the game today. And uh, what did you think? Um, the first two games, we, we got uh, so uh, worked up. Oh, my God, the the Kachucks being the wrecking balls they are. This could get crazy. 
when they have to play five games against each other head to head in 11 nights. I don't, you pick whatever, okay, pick whatever Kachuk you want and then take a guy at random from the other team. That was as good a rivalry as the two Kachuk brothers. Yeah, I don't, were we really expecting to see them? I liked uh, Matthew's comment about, yeah, you think you're going to see us fight, like grow up, like really people? Um, but, they, you know, they're, they're going to play their game, whether they're playing against their brother or not. They're just, they're programmed that way. It's like watching two Sutters play at one time. They're going to play hard-nosed game, and they're going to do their thing. And I didn't expect to see Matthew fight uh, fight Brady, or, or did I expect really to see Matthew or Brady really fight anyone? There's just no reason for it. Uh, there may be come game four or five in this series that there might be a a tussle or two involving one of the Kachucks, but they're never they're never going to fight each other. No, no, and uh, I think uh, there's a vow they've made to their mom that yeah. they'll never drop the gloves against each other. So, uh, no, I'm certainly not looking at dropping of the gloves. But there wasn't it wasn't even really any competitive moments between the two of them so far in the first two games. So that was a little more of a surprise. I thought they'd be banging heads and smashing into each other. And it seems like they're creating a wide swath around each other at the <laughs> stage. I, but, but I don't know that either game was really lending itself to that type of behavior to come out. You know, I, and they don't match up against each other necessarily. Like they're not playing head to head every shift. Um, they play their style of game against who's ever on the ice at that time. But in a six one, in a six three game, there's not a lot of this uh, uh, physicality, dump and jump and chase and forecheck and thump and bump everybody all night. It was neither game was really that type of game. Maybe it'll be different if they play a three two game with some tighter checking and and there's more of that stuff involved. Again, we'll have to see come game four or five or whatever. Although you did pick up on a funny moment (laughs) in a physical way when there was a big hit by Mark Giordano. Yeah. Giordano bumped uh, Connor Brown just near the Calgary door to the bench there and knocked him down. And as he was skating off the ice, it's probably one of the mics from Rogers that was there at the, (laughs) at the bench picks up Giordano turning back to Brown and saying, get back to the gym. As he heads off the ice. But it was pretty funny. Rogers played it like three or four times. Well, so, uh, probably didn't. Okay, well, if it, if it exists and I can find it, you will hear it here. Otherwise, we carry on. And, <laughs> yeah. uh, boy, mentioning Connor Brown, um, it's just phenomenal, the number of opportunities. Like, really early in the game, he had a good opportunity and just uh, it looked like he, yeah, he basically tried to you – know, stop down and uh, kind of bring it back up and take a shot, let the defenseman blow through. It looked like he had a clean lane initially down the left wing. Anyway, he completely lost the puck altogether. And I got thinking he has, uh, what does he have? Four goals, three assists in his last nine games. And yet insanely snake bitten. Who else could you say that about in the NHL? Seven points in his last nine games and you're, you're left wanting more big time. Yeah. Not exactly the silky mitts, that guy. No. So, but but again, it comes back to our projections, and where do you project Connor Brown playing on a competitive NHL team? And I've maintained all along when Connor Brown is your third line winger, and in eighty-two games can put up maybe forty points, then you're you're real. You've arrived. At the time being, I mean, now he's playing with Kachuk and uh, and um, help me out. Why am I drawing Mike Norris? He's playing basically on your top line right wing with with two of your studs. 
So he seems to get more opportunities with the puck on his stick. He has more up, more breakaway opportunities to to fumble. He has more passes to just not quite handle. Whereas when he's in a third line role, those kind of opportunities won't show up for him as often. So therefore, we won't see him bobbling and stumbling and bumbling his way quite so much, right? Well, yeah, and I, I just uh, let's put our coaching hat on for a second because it's just a, he's such an interesting player. And I know that I've gone along with the third line role thing. He's not a classic third line guy either because he literally does everything I want a great hockey player to do except the finish part. There's not many third liners that I go around saying, man, he creates a lot of opportunities for himself. I usually say that third liner is a good hustle guy and he's playing great defense out there. I love that guy. I know meat and potatoes. I don't say, man, does he create a lot of opportunities and not finish them. It's like from a coaching perspective, like, like maybe you go off with that, that, that Daryl Belfry guy or something like go off and f- <laughs> figure yourself out, man. Like just find a way to just convert on 25% more of your opportunities. And suddenly you're an $8 million a year player. Yeah. And uh, if we had the answer to that, Steve, the NHL would be full of finesse skill guys. Right. Really? Like, would it like that kind of guy? If, if everybody could go somewhere and learn how to score goals, how many third and fourth, how many middle six forwards in the NHL could suddenly turn into top three forwards, right? Like it's just, you're either blessed with it or you're not to a certain extent. You can work with a guy on, on handling a pocket. You can work on quicker releases. You can w- work on, on reading trends and goaltenders and knowing where to shoot a puck and when and things like that and shooting in stride and yada, yada, yada. But <laughs> there's, you still require at least a base amount of some kind of softness in the hands that just for him, unfortunately, doesn't seem to be there. Is there another guy like him, though? Another guy in the league, can you name that creates as much as Connor Brown does and doesn't Presently. finish it off? Well, don't forget, we're also, you know, we, we a lot of guys like to use the expression uh, recency bias because it mm-hmm. just happened recently. We're biased. Well, this is a geographical bias. Like we, we see him, right? We see him play every single night. Like I'm sure if you watched a, uh, how about a Dustin Brown in his day was, he, you know, the same type of player playing in L.A., who who almost looks the same, skates the same, works hard, does all those things, but he was never a thirty goal scorer or anything like that. There's there's probably a lot more of them out there than than we are aware of. You know, I bet if we we talk to a correspondent with each city, each team across the league, we'd probably find they've got one or two in their team that are the same sort of thing. Like I used to think of Mike Fisher. Okay, Mike Fisher. I always said he's not a number one center. I don't even know that he's a number two center, but he's not a number three center. And he just seemed to have no imagination. His hands weren't great. Yeah, great clapper, right? And he could skate miles and hit like a madman, but was never really an offensively gifted guy for yeah. what he was able to create. So there's a, a comparable, I guess. Yeah, that's true. I just, uh, this it, it's just getting uncanny, the number of yeah. opportunities he gets on and, uh, and every, every podcast, it seems to come up. Like, how can he not finish some of those? <laughs> and you got to be impressed with everything he does, though. He's just, uh, he's been really good. Anyway, uh, oh, what's that? Is that Ryan Dezingle's music I hear walking into the auditorium? Uh, yeah, Ryan Dezingle is ready to go. Uh, for those uh, who may have missed it a couple of weeks ago, he was traded to the Ottawa Senators, reacquired by them from the Carolina Hurricanes, basically one for one for Alex Galchenyuk. And uh, no, was there anybody else involved with that? Um, there was another guy. It was Paquette. Paquette, yeah, Paquette, Paquette went that way too. Yeah, my bad. They, 
They did nothing with Galchenyuk. How about that? You just stay right there, Alex. We'll get back to you. Yeah, they 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 basically uh, traded him to Toronto, and now he was uh, sent down today to the Marlies. So we'll see if he uh, they wanted to go down and play and play in such a way that he's not uh, fearing for his spot in the lineup. So he's obviously having a crisis of confidence, not just on what's happened this year and all the shuffling around, but uh, pretty much everything that's happened over the last three years sure. has uh, just fallen off the map. But uh, from the Dezingle component, he is now ready. He has to. Uh, he had to uh, do the whole two-week quarantine thing, and uh, the Sens are going to take their time with him. They said, and I'm like, why? Why? Why exactly? Uh, the guy is uh, the guy played most most games for Carolina this year. Had to go into the quarantine situation. Do you really get that much rust in two weeks, Greg? Yeah, and the whole it, it worked so well for them with the we're going to take our time with some of the young guys at the start of this season too. You know, right. going with the going with the more veteran lineup. Yeah, that 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 worked out well. I say put him in the lineup tomorrow move Stutzla to center and play to Zingle with Batherson and Stutzla and be done with it. Like his speed will, will be of so much of a great benefit to those two guys compared to, compared to Artie struggling to get up and down the ice or before him step on, like just if Stutzla's ready to play center, that is, if he's not, then figure something else out. But I just, I see him long-term playing on the wing with uh, Stutzla and Batherson. So what? has to happen because a lot of people are starting to say that it's time to get a look at Stutzla at center, particularly after Derek Stepan was removed from the lineup due to a shoulder injury. And that may be the end. I saw Simmer this week talking about a potential four to six month recovery window. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So you're in a situation where, okay, that's the end of the line for Stepan and you're probably not getting anything for him. And the guy's starting to play better, which is unfortunate, but, uh, you know, uh, one of the people, one of the thoughts people had was that maybe Stutzla goes to center now. Uh, the answer was to put Anisimov back into the lineup. But uh, like from a coaching perspective, what do you need to see from Stutzla where you say, okay, now it's time to give him a shot at center? Okay, so let's think about what a center's requirements of a centerman in, in D zone coverage. It's it's different from a winger. Obviously, he's got to be down low. It stops and starts it's actually much more of a support role. And the way Ottawa plays in their own zone, they basically play five, five guys like the dots on a, on a die on a dice. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and anytime a puck comes near you, it's a man to man scenario with the center supporting. So he needs to be in the middle of that five guys. He needs to be reading and reacting to the play. He needs to be stopping and starting his biggest thing of the flybys that we've seen has got to go away. You cannot be doing that down low. So now, Okay, even if he can learn to stop and start and read and support down low where he needs to, is he strong enough is the next question. And I, I honestly don't know the answer to that. It's a 19-year-old kid at the end of the day, and he just turned 19 last month. So, yeah, I, I might be willing to experiment and see what it looks like. For sure. Because you really never know. you got nothing to lose at this stage of the game. And Although they're not, they're not dead and buried, but, you know, in the big picture, this is – you know, a season, at least in my opinion, should be about experimentation. That should be about the mad science. And if you stick him out there for, you know, even a period and you say, oh, my God, I hate the way that looks. You can always just put him back on the wing. It's yeah. not like you can't uh, you can't go. You know, you don't have to set him at center and, oh, you can't move him now. No, it's start. To, I'm, I'm ready to take a look. Yeah, like things to remember here is that you've got Nick Paul playing the wing who was who is for all intents and purposes or has been a center for most of his career. So you're playing Nick Paul in a fourth line role. You bring Dezingle in. You try Stutzla between Dezingle and Batherson. If it's not working, you throw Nick Paul in there and you move 
you move uh, Dezingle or down to the left side in Paul's spot. That's fairly easy fix in the middle of a game, isn't it? Shouldn't take any rocket science to do that. Would you like Nick Paul at center? I mean, the guy's a takeaway machine out there. Yeah. Um, I love him the way, I mean, I'd hate to lose him along the boards because he's so big and strong and he's got that Mark Stone-like stick where he just wins every battle. Uh, that's that's a hard thing to replace along the boards. That makes every line he'll be on so much better, so much more dangerous. But I do like the the concept of the guy's got some strut now. To see him in the middle of the ice, that would be compelling too. It would be interesting to see. Again, that wouldn't be my long-term projection for him. He he is a left winger. He's a bottom six left winger on a really good team someday here in Ottawa. But I'm just saying that if you want to try Stutzlitz center in a game and it doesn't work out, you've got Paul sitting there ready to go up there and play center no problem to 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 fill in. And, and, and he'd be better than Artie between Batherson and Stutzler, right? Like you try Stutzler at center, doesn't work. Move him to left wing, drop Dezingle down, move Paul up, no problem. All right, back to Dezingle. Um, what's your expectation for him production-wise? Uh, the guy still is only 28 years of age, and he just two years ago had a 26-goal season. So, so 2017-18, 23 goals, 41 points. The following year, in his free agent year, He had 26 goals and 30 assists. So the second he left Ottawa, things started to unravel. I should say the second he left, well, yeah, by the time playoffs hit in Columbus, he had one goal in nine games. And I think he had a crisis of confidence there because then he gets to Carolina and really does not do much. 29 points in 64 games and just four points in 11 games this year. Not over the hill blazing fast and not that far removed from a very good NHL season production wise. What is your expectation for Ryan Dezingle when he gets in the lineup for Ottawa? I don't, you know, I'd, I'd like to think he's going to bring his speed, which will be helpful on the four check. He does have offensive skills. Obviously he can, he can move the puck. He can handle a puck. He can shoot a puck. So it'll depend on what kind of a role DJ puts him in. What kind of line mates does he give him? I think he got to Columbus and he ended up being a health bomb in the playoffs, for God's sakes, probably because whoever he was playing with wasn't uh, of maximum benefit to him and his game. Mm-hmm. So when you watch him, he is not exactly the most defensively reliable guy in the world. His He's a lot like um, Anthony Duclair in that he is pure speed, not a lot of hockey sense. Uh, probably a little too much glide and not enough stride on his back check game. So, and his hockey sense is not there either. Right. So if you're putting him in a situation with two guys who play the game, well, a 200 foot game, yada, yada, uh, Ryan Dezingle will not look good. If you're putting him with offensively gifted guys where you're in the offensive zone and it's give and go and quick pass and quick shot and, and cycle game and all that sort of stuff, he'll look phenomenal. So I really think it's going to come down to, who DJ Smith is going to play him with, which will be solely based on DJ's confidence in the player. Does he hang around potentially? Like, do you think about, is there anything he can do in Ottawa where you'd say, okay, let's resign that guy. Or is he for sure gone at the deadline? Well, that comes down to a projection on Formanton, um, a projection on, dare I say it, Logan Brown, 
um, what's going on with eventually with, with Shane Pinto, uh, what's going to happen with, uh, help me out. Ab- Abramov is, is he going to play in the NHL someday? Um, the big Russian from Halifax, where is he going to fit in? Sokolov. Sokolov. Um, that's what it comes down to. In a sense, he's yet another placeholder. <laughs> is that, is that, are we allowed to, we got to copyright that Steve. Are we allowed to, or is other people use it too much, but in a sense, he is, he's a roster spot placeholder for now. And he's got a lot of runway here to show what he can do between now and a trade deadline. And at the same time, all those other people I just mentioned have a good chunk of time and games to show what they can do and how they're going to progress. Um, we'll see. The other one I'm thinking of, uh, Who's the other guy in the minors? Uh, I think he's the captain now. Why am I drawing a blank on him? Parker Kelly. That's him. Like they've talked about Parker Kelly a lot. So is Parker Kelly a projection to play in a third line role or a fourth line role? I mean, he's he's yet another guy who maybe sends fans don't think about as much as others, but he's a guy that they've spoken highly of. Um, you know, all of that's going to factor into what you're going to do with Ryan Dezingle long term is what I'm getting at. Right. Now, as we look at, as, as long as we're hanging out in, uh, in B-Sens land, one guy who is not any longer is Philip Schlappick. He has, um, well, they basically had uh, one of those mutual parting of the ways. So Schlappick, they put him on waivers a couple of times, and there were no takers. And obviously Schlappick and his agent went to Pierre Dorian and said, here's, uh, here's what we'd like. We'd like to uh, tear up our contract and get the hell out of here. And the Sens agreed to it, and they've shaken hands. And Schlappick probably ends up going back to Europe, I would imagine, because they're well. The waiver has informed he and his agent that there's no interest in the player in the NHL, at least not right now. Um, Twenty-three years of age, second rounder from a few years back. Any surprise for you on that? No, <laughs> were you? I mean, he just he never panned out. He never found a spot in the lineup. Whether he was supposed to be an offensive guy but uh, not as strong offensively as, as the top six that are here uh, and not uh, as defensively aware as the bottom six guys. So you're kind of a, you're a tweener. So you're an American hockey league or son, and it just didn't really work out for him. And I'm sure it was, as you just described, it was a simple case of the agent saying, Hey, the player wants to go home. Can we just make this happen? And boom, it's done. Yeah, I guess I do. I am a little surprised. Um, Not wildly. It obviously wasn't going the way he would have liked, but, I still see a 23-year-old. Um, you know, I see Belleville come out of the gate one and three. Uh, so, you know, what's the hurry? Um, there's still an opportunity potentially. What he needs is to, if he wants to be an NHL player, is the scenario he's in right now and uh, and and show that you can dominate the American Hockey League. And, and once you can do that, then let's talk about you coming to the NHL. But in the meantime, um, there's no spot for you here. So do your time in the American Hockey League and, and off you go. But it, it looked like maybe and, may, and maybe he was seeing the writing on the wall. Maybe Troy Mann, his usage of him was saying, you know, I'm not even going to get that chance here. So bye. Yeah, it's a, OK. He's had a year and a half or two years down there already, mm-hmm. and it just hasn't happened for him. So, OK, the kid's looking at his job options in his future and saying it isn't going to work out there. I'll make more money going home. Uh, and off he goes. I do think, though, I'm I'm more than a little mildly concerned now that you've had a few hit and misses here, and we've lost some bodies between uh, Balsers, Lajoie, 
Um, there's another defenseman. And now Schlappick, uh, Jaros, right? Right. That's that's four guys who have been placed on waivers and really no real interest or no real serious return, one or the other, uh, for each of these four players. Um, and, and you could be adding Logan Brown to that. Where's he going to go? What's going to happen with him? Um, that they the hit and miss ratio is a little high there on those guys yeah. compared to some others and what you'd like like down the road. So what does that say about a an Alex Formanton or a, a Jonathan Davidson? Where like are these guys going to be a miss as well? Is Abramov a miss as well? You know, I just uh, I, I it does give one pause for thought. Yeah, and I guess they felt like they'd seen enough of all three guys in the case of Yaros, Schlappik, Balsers. Uh, I just, I don't know. I just felt like in the NHL, they never were, were really given, you know, especially the forwards in question, you know, did they ever come up and, and, and play with real line mates and, uh, and get serious, you know, opportunities to succeed. They're both, if they're going to be successful as pros, it will be in a skill role. And every time they seem to be up, they were in non-skill positions playing way down in the lineup. Well, but, but in defense of the club, you're bringing this guy up. It, it, there's a difference between, okay, this guy's a stud, going to be a stud. We're going to play him in the top six and see what he can do. And uh, the player who is he might be, might not be, maybe he's a middle six guy. You're just going to have to earn your ice time and play well in this sort of role until you can get to a different kind of role. Uh, Rudy Balsers isn't exactly tearing it up in San Jose. So, so far that hasn't looked like a mistake to, to let him go. I don't think there's any downside to letting Schlappick go. Uh, I just I can't see him come if, even if he comes back to the NHL at some point I can't see him being some sort of superstar they're all going to be banging our heads that he's gone um, as for Lajoie I think he was around long enough and just you know, he had every opportunity and, and couldn't do it Yaros on the other hand I'm I'm with you we were we were both kind of stupefied wondering how uh how he really never got a chance and whether it was dj didn't like him or or what it was but that guy i think there was more there yeah i loved his skating and he could hit as well he wasn't going to produce offense or anything but he's he's kind of that i mean when he gets to where you know he's at peak performance he's kind of that more balanced type of a defenseman occasionally chipping in offensively, but more about minding the store. And the idea of Christian Yaros would be to, you know, to to play with a guy like Thomas Shabbat, mind the store while the skill guys go skating off. Um, But it never really panned out. I mean, I saw him in a little bit at rookie camp and he was paired with Shabbat. This is like three, four years ago now. And I was like, okay, there's the future, baby. There is the future. And it just never really was uh, in the cards for a guy like Christian Yaros. And I think part of it was DJ Smith was not really down with him because I know for a fact in my conversations with Pierre Dorian that he loved Christian Yaros. Yeah, it happens, right? You, you, there's a, there's a trade-off there between a coach and a GM. Uh, usually the GM is, I want you to play this guy, but occasionally it works the other way around where the coach just says, look, pal, I know you, you're high on this guy, but I just don't like him and I don't really have a spot for him. You know, he's not really doing anything elsewhere right now, is he either, Yaros? Yeah. yeah. Now, uh, a couple of things before we wrap up today. Eric Carlson, uh, sort of uh, not in the news per se. He's hurt again. He's off to a tough start again. That contract is looking very, very poor. And uh, I threw it out there because after that Sens win over the Montreal Canadiens, 
where both Norris and Stutzla scored in the shootout. Very exciting hockey game. I was like, okay, this shootout brought to you by the Eric Carlson trade. And I threw it out there that I thought, okay, Eric Carlson, you know, someday we'll, we'll retire his number. But in the meantime, man, that trade is looking good getting those guys. And most of the people immediately went, woohoo, back up there. What's this about Eric Carlson getting his number retired by Ottawa? I don't think so. So I did a poll on Twitter and 58% of the uh, people who responded, and it was something like 2,000, they said, no, no, Eric Carlson's number should not be retired. Stick him on that ring of honor thing that uh, Brian Murray is on, for example. And he's surprised that that many people, almost 60%, say that number 65 should not be retired in Ottawa. I'm not surprised at all. Hmm. I know you, uh, you. It's funny though. It's almost like you were you were dissing Alfie or something with saying that, right? Chirping about uh, Carlson, but I'm sorry. I I don't see it. He didn't play here long enough. Didn't accomplish enough. Left in bad terms. Uh, I just no. Sorry, I don't think his number should ever be retired in Ottawa. And you? I do think it should be retired. Um, <laughs> he was here for the better part of a decade. He won two Norrises. He should have won a third. Imagine being the fourth best scorer among all skaters in the NHL and not being awarded the Norris Trophy. It was like people got sick of him or something. Oh, he's always getting points, but he's not that good defensively. We're not giving him the Norris Trophy. But uh, any other player who, who uh, from this moment on that finishes in the top four overall in scoring, not among defensemen, but among all skaters, that guy will 100% win the Norris Trophy. So point is, I think he should have had three Norris Trophies. And 2017 yeah. was amazing. And he did it. He did it basically on one good ankle. He, I think he wrecked the ankle, in fact, in that playoff run. And so the, oh, guy, gave, the guy gave his ankle, gave his best years to the <laughs> Ottawa Senators. And so <laughs> I think that guy is, uh, is a pretty special talent. Yeah, sure. I'd, you know, I'd like him to have gone on for four or five more years. But uh, what other Ottawa Senators won? two major awards like that. What other Ottawa Senator was regarded for five years as the best player as his, at his position. Um, so for that reason, I got number 65 in the rafters. All right, fine. I, I won't argue with you. Fair enough. I don't, agree, I don't agree with you, but I won't argue with you. Totally fine. That's the fun of hockey. I say, um, let's see what else do we got here before we go. Um, we did mention that crazy sends Habs game. Um, just, uh, I mean, the habits were livid, and it cost a man his job effectively. In all likelihood, Claude Julien doesn't get fired the next morning if uh, if the goaltender interference call doesn't take away a game-winning goal with two seconds left. Brendan Gallagher was livid, and the Sens would take it into the three-on-three and then into the shootout. And uh, again, Stutzla and Norris with crazy good goals. Um, let's begin with this. Did you think that was goalie interference at the end of that game? Wow. It's... By the letter of the law, uh, yes, it was goaltender interference. If the goal had been scored a split second sooner, there would be no discussion whatsoever. The main bone of contention here is how much time does the goaltender need to get reset? Right. So then the question becomes, when he got up and looked around, did he get up and was looking around for the puck trying to get reset? Or did he get up and pretend he didn't know where the puck was and was, uh, I might find it maybe get set, you know, how much of it was an act on his part. That's what it comes down to. Really. Can you read what Matt Murray's what's going through his mind at that time and what he's doing? So like I say, by the letter of the law, yeah, correct call, but, but, but 
I'd like to just say, oh, yeah, because it's Brendan Gallagher at the end of the day. So I don't know <laughs> if he's getting benefit of the doubt from anybody, but. You know, and I think it was unfair of them on the broadcast to be showing everything in slow motion in slow motion. Yeah, time. Well, look, yeah. yeah, he's got tons of time. Look at all the time he's got to reset and never got a chance to really look at it in real time. And I thought that would probably put a more fair spin on things. Uh, the guy spun him around, basically. You know, Gallagher ended up colliding with the back of uh, the pad. It basically spun him around. And uh, did he have a chance? I don't know. That's uh, that's obviously Matt Murray's the only one that really knows the answer to that question. And the replay guys took their best guess, and they decided he did not have time to reset. So that ball, that puck, uh, that uh, that goal comes off the board, and uh, the Sens go on to win the game. There was a kind of a funny moment because we were saying with Pierre Dorian after the previous game that they'd won in overtime that Dorian didn't react up in the press box at all. It was really kind of weird. We talked about it in the last episode. And this game in the rematch, well, Pierre Dorian's also kind of got an unusual thing happening in that he's standing that back there behind Carey Price, got the mask going, he's all by himself, and he's directly back there like a goal judge as the three-on-three is going. And so this whole sense sickos thing, which the fan base seems to be starting to bill itself as, they were having all kinds of fun with that on social media. I think the fact of the matter was that uh, Dorian called it a day that um, Gallagher gets that goal. I don't, did Gallagher actually get the goal or did he just uh, defend? I don't think he actually got the goal. Okay. Anyway, but I'll, I'll they score at the end, though. And I, just to finish yeah. the thought, uh, they score at the end there. And I think that Pierre Dorian's in the elevator when uh, all of a sudden <laughs> he realizes he gets down. Hey, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Did they call that back? Fantastic. And then had sort of scurried in to watch the end of the game from rinkside. So I think that's what happened. Yeah, well, that's that's the closest entrance to the arena from the exit door to his car in the parking lot out behind the, the big garage door there. Right. So you're right. He, or he was just walking around the bottom towards, you know, walking towards the dressing room, went, oh, wait a minute, and turned back and went down the hallway so he could come up back out to the ice level to watch it. <laughs> yeah. But uh, of note, though, Gallagher uh, managed to get up and get reset for the shot from the point. That is true. That is yeah. true. And he pointed that out in the post game. And then uh, the next morning, Claude Julia lost his job. And was there any surprise to you? I mean, like two weeks before that, almost two weeks to the day, the Habs and Leafs were playing, I think, on a national TV audience uh, for top spot in the North Division. And uh, and if you go, if you went back three weeks earlier, they had started the year something crazy like seven one and two, I want to say, in the first 10 games. And uh, and and I'll throw this in as part of the question. If you don't lose three times this month to the Ottawa Senators, who have this stigma of being this really terrible team, even though I don't think they are, um, that maybe you still have a job if you're Claude Julia? I think the writing was uh, was on the wall, was coming, and uh, Bergevin said as much that he'd been thinking about it. Uh, there was a lot of talk. Some interesting quotes came out of the room The in between games there, especially mm-hmm. from Shea Weber. Uh, maybe he might have lost the room. Um, uh, part of it is that Claude Julien is a four-line guy. He wants to roll four lines, and uh, some people weren't happy with that. Uh, some of the more veteran players and some of the higher-skilled players weren't thrilled with that aspect of, of playing for Claude Julien. Um, but the but bottom line is they, they don't produce enough offense either. Like we talked much about Ottawa couldn't seem to get their offense going. Well, 
Montreal's got, I don't have the stats in front of me. I wish I did, but their offense from centers, from forwards uh, has not been good. Remember early in the year when they were winning all those games, mm-hmm. everybody's talking about how, look at all these goals from their defensemen, right? They were leading the league there with the defensemen scoring. And meanwhile, the rest of the team's not doing a damn thing. And they haven't exactly turned it on since then either. Yeah, you can't hang your hat on defense scoring. It's uh, It comes in, uh, in, in fits and starts, but it's, if, uh, if there's any any level of reliance on your defense scoring goals, that's uh, that's a recipe for disaster. But let's close it out today. Uh, I got to say the Sens were super supportive over the last couple of years and uh, here in the last couple of days after the passing of Brian Fraser, who uh, was uh, like a Sens super fan and uh, also worked uh, with us at Bell Media uh, at CFRA as a technical producer on the morning show there. And uh, he passed away a couple of days ago. Very good guy. Uh, I, did you ever, I mean, you, you were at TSN for, for a while with the grassroots minor hockey show. So you were kind of prowling around the studio right near CFRA. I don't know if you ever had a chance to cross paths with him. Yeah, no, I, I, I never did, but I certainly heard a great deal about him. And of course, since I know Maddie, Maddie's had a lot, Maddie Conosvita's had a lot of uh, yeah. nice things to say. And the, and the boy, I heard uh, JR and, um, and Hammer, uh, the morning after Simmer didn't really uh, didn't know him, but um, but no, from what Maddie and Jr. said, and from what I've read, uh, he seems like he was a a nice young man in the prime of his life. It's a real shame. Yeah, I believe he's twenty six years of age as he Jesus. as he passes away, and, and he was just so brave about it all, and that he was um, you know out there talking about it uh, on traditional media, on social media, and, uh, encouraged awareness, encouraged fundraising and, and really bravely shared his story. And, uh, there was all kinds of neat support that he got, not just from the Sens, but Drew Brees, the Saints quarterback, uh, you know, he, he did a nice video for him, Mario Lemieux, uh, hockey Canada and, uh, and, uh, Brian passed away of, uh, leukemia, like I say, a couple of uh, days ago. And the Sens had uh, on their practice ice on Friday morning, they started out with this nice stick salute in tribute. And today's game uh, here on Saturday, the team had uh, the letters BF with a drop of blood on it as well uh, to, uh, to honor him. And uh, so kudos to the Sens for that kind of support. And uh, Brian and I, I, I wouldn't say, you know, we're not close or anything, but um, I did enjoy the tradition of bumping into him on our way into work. I think it was his dad that would always drop him off right on George street in, in the, in the back. And uh, I guess that would be York street in back. And uh, so it'd be dark. It would be the dark of morning and everything. Cause he'd always come in for the morning show and we'd walk in together and just uh, talk about sends, talk about radio in general. Um, frankly, I think I had his dream job cause he was such a massive sports fan and such a sends fan. And so uh, it was certainly sad to see him go, this week it was something unfortunately that we knew was coming but you you never really are ready for it and kudos to the Sens again today for the nice uh, tribute that we'll leave you with today uh, on the passing of Brian Fraser thank you for being with us today on the Sens Nation podcast we'll talk to you next time thanks Greg thank you and loyal Ottawa Senators fan Brian Fraser passed away after a two-year battle with leukemia he was just 26 During his battle, he courageously shared his journey and encouraged many to give blood to help others like himself. The Ottawa Senators organization would like to extend our sincerest condolences to the family and many friends of Brian. Please join us in a moment of silence in honor of his memory.
Thank you. Merci.